Good morning, Fellowship. Lovely to see your beautiful faces. And uh, it's a special day for me because my sister, my oldest sister and her, and her husband, Frank, are here. So I'm particularly a happy man. Where is my sister? Seal. The story, there she is. And Frank. Ah, oh, the stories I could tell you. Actually, the stories she could tell you. But we'll keep that between ourselves. I want to say a warm welcome to those who are online. Love to have you join us and, uh, and, and those in Platinum right now. We're mindful we're a multi- uh, community in different places and spaces. And I know it's a bit of a disappointment uh, that uh, our, our uh, third site hasn't happened today. But remember, that promise in Romans 8.28, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. That's as true now as it's ever been. And the, the good that God is working is for us to become more like Jesus. So let's pray with that end in mind. Heavenly Father, you are so good, so great, and your will be done. We ask, Lord, not just for the permit, though we do ask for that, but, but Father, even more importantly, for us to remain thankful in whatever season we're in. For we're children of God. You are our dad. Heaven is our home. God's spirit dwells within us, and Jesus is our Lord and brother. Thank you for this nation. Thank you for the rulers of this nation who have opened their arms to us. We're ever mindful, Lord, that we are guests, very thankful guests. And uh, Lord, we pray for a deep trust that in all things, your purposes are working out for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. God made it. We broke it. Jesus fixed it. That's the arc of the Bible story, isn't it? God made it. We broke it. Jesus fixed it. And it's really the arc of this story as well that we're about to see, because We broke it, and this world is broken. It's sort of part glory, part ruin, all rolled into one. We only the last month we saw the floods in Libya. I mean, how many lost their lives? Four thousand, nine thousand are missing. Horrendous numbers. Or before that, the earthquake in Morocco, three thousand crushed under the buildings that collapsed. Tragedy. And then closer to home, you you and I, we're perhaps more aware of our pain or the pain of our loved ones. It may be a broken heart. It may be a chronic long-term illness. And I'll tell you, there's chronic pain. Wow. There are some of you who live with chronic pain. Our heart goes out to you because there's nothing. You can't share that with anyone. eh? No matter how someone comes alongside, it is a very personal, very lonely experience. Well, today we'll hear of a story of how God restored a lame man in Jesus' name and how Uh, In Acts 3, this man truly had his own journey of uh, struggles, a truly broken man. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 3, verse 2. Now, a man who was lame, paraplegic, we don't know how, from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So he was disabled from birth. We know from the next chapter, that's four decades, 40 years old, long time. So desperate, uh, he had to beg. So powerless, he had to be carried everywhere. A place that had no welfare net to catch him. A man in the most powerless situations. While the spirit-filled believers who had now come to Christ had no person in need. That was not true for the rest of those in Jerusalem. He was placed strategically at the temple gate called Beautiful. Why? Hoping that as people went into the temple to pray and love God, maybe just maybe they might love this man who was made in the image of God. 
I thought to myself, you know, Jesus would have walked past this man in the three years in the in, in the three years that he was doing ministry and went to the temple. He would have walked right past him, and he never got healed. Why wouldn't he have got healed? Answer: Very simple. You do not have because you do not ask. Even here, when he asks Peter, he doesn't ask for healing. He asks for money. And I understand that. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he, uh, that is the temple, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He wanted a piece of Christian generosity, some of the crumbs that could fall off the table. Peter and John. It's interesting. They want him to give them his full attention. This was not going to be another shekel in the hat as they went past, not even noticing him. He's probably thinking, wow, I've hit the jackpot here. I'm going to get some serious denarii. And then he hears those sad news in verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. The apostles, you can tell they're not prosperity preaching. <laughs> you know, come to Jesus and you'll be wealthy. Well, here are the apostles. They've definitely come to Jesus and they're not wealthy. Silver and gold have I none. But what they do have is the ability to perform miracles in the name of Jesus. Look at verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking. And if you know the song, you could have almost sung it. He went walking and leaping and praising. That's another old song. Why was this a miracle? How do you know this was a miracle? It was a miracle because, firstly, he was instantly healed. Do you see that in verse 7? He was instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He didn't slowly get better over six months. That's a healing. We thank God for that. But that's not a miracle. This is. It was a miracle because he was completely healed. He doesn't go from wheelchair to walking frame to walking stick. Again, very good. We thank God for medicine and physiotherapists and everything. But that's not a miracle. This is a miracle. He went from totally disabled to totally restored in an instant. Verse 8. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Because with Jesus, they don't limp out, they walk out. They They don't even walk out, they jump out. What a total restoration. I mean, he didn't need the... Hours of therapy to get his muscles going, you know, once, they, once the problem got solved. Everything got restored in an instant. And it was a true miracle, you can see, as it resulted in praise to God himself. He went not just walking and leaping, but praising God. Finally, for the first time, because he was actually restricted from going into the temple because he was lame. He could now enter into the temple courts and praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what a great day that was. Oh, it was a true miracle. You know why? Because it was also verified. What do I mean by that? This was on public record. It didn't happen you know, in a big arena with an anonymous stranger getting out of a wheelchair, which may or may not have been a miracle. 
because no one can verify. But this one, everyone knew this man. They knew he was the guy at the gate, lame from birth, and now able to walk, jump, and praise God. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. Oh, and they were filled with what? Wonder and amazement at what what had happened to him. Don't ever apologize for ever asking questions to verify whether a miracle took place. The whole New Testament Gospels are filled with it. Now, here are two quotes from Ray Galea. Sorry, a little joke. Um, But they are quotes. God is never glorified when you praise him for a miracle that did not take place. Sometimes people say a miracle took place. Yeah, I don't think so. It might have been a healing, but it didn't probably qualify as a miracle. And I think sometimes we do that. You know why? Because I think we're trying to beef up our assurance. That's not the way to do it. Your assurance is built on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, from the dead and you will rise as well. No, no, we don't do pretend as followers of Jesus. Truth matters to us. And that's why equally I want to say, God is never glorified when you don't praise him for a miracle that did take place, whether it was then or now. And sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's hard to know the difference. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Friends, uh, a friend of mine uh, who actually led me to the Lord, uh, and she, when she was uh, with child 30 plus years ago, The first ultrasound said that the child will be born dead. No renal system, no this, no that. Oh, my goodness, we were just so sad. And and I said, what are you going to do? And she said, well, two things. I'm going to pray that God heals this child. And secondly, I'm going to um, try to be the best mum, even if I only have nine months with this child. I thought, what a good answer. Anyway, next ultrasound comes along. Wow, perfectly clear, nothing wrong. And that child that was in her womb is now married with two kids, serving in northern Australia, translating the Bible into an Aboriginal language. Amen? Now, praise God. Now, when people say that was a miracle, I said it could be a miracle. I'm not sure because at the time there were lots of faulty ultrasounds. So I don't know whether it was an ultrasound problem or not, but who cares? We're rejoicing and thanking God either way. It was a miracle. This definitely was a true miracle. No hands. And it, and it was done in Jesus' name. Look at verse 16. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. That's, that's Peter's reflection on what took place. That's why Peter and John wanted this man to look straight at them. Because they wanted him to put his faith in Jesus in whose name he would be healed. This was a miracle in response to trusting in Jesus. And that's why Peter needed to be clear that it was not about him, but the Lord Jesus, who is the hero of this story. So Peter starts to then reflect on Jesus in whose name the miracle happened. Remember we saw this in Pentecost chapter 2. Miracle, then long sermon about Jesus who who caused the miracle through the Spirit. Here we've got it again, verse 11. When the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? I feel like saying, Pete, 
The reason why it surprised us is because he was lame for 40 years and is now walking and leaping and jumping and praising God. But anyway, that's me. Peter says to him, why do you stare at us if, as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Isn't that interesting? You know when a miracle happens, the temptation is always to think that the person who laid hands somehow has extra power or is extra holy, and that's why it happened. And then we start, we start to lift them up. Uh-uh, no, no. Peter is especially aware. You, get, you don't get the right explanation. You're going to end up with the wrong conclusion. He, miracles are many things. They're demonstrations of the power of the kingdom, and Jesus is the king. They anticipate and are a picture of the kingdom to come and its goodness and wholeness. Uh, They demonstrate the power of Jesus' authority over this and that, nature's sickness. But miracles are also signs. They point to something. Uh, There's a big difference, isn't there, between the sign that says Burj Burj al-Arab in this direction and Burj al-Arab. Like the sign pointing you to Burj al-Arab and Burj al-Arab are very different. One costs about a thousand dirham. The other one costs about a hundred thousand million dirham. One takes you to the other. <laughs> you don't spend your day saying, what a great sign, fantastic sign. I love this. It's so beautiful. And brown. Look at that brown. You know, oh, that's all. I love the right. No one does that. Said, okay, right. This miracle, take you to Jesus. Take you to Jesus. And Peter is so clear about not wanting to be the focus of the story and the hero of the story. He's saying, it is not by my power. It is by the power of the living Lord Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that was good news and it was bad news. Good news because it means Jesus is alive. Bad news is, is, uh uh-oh, they killed him two months before. (laughs) Oops. And it's interesting how, I mean, it wasn't read to us, but Peter just kind of turns the knife when he's preaching. He won't let them off the hook. He He will show them how responsible they are for the murder of the Messiah. And and you know why? Because when you cannot turn to Jesus unless you turn from and own your sins. You know that. You can't go around. If you want want just Jesus as a teacher, you don't need to do it. But if you want Jesus to be your savior, you come to him with your sins and say, "I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And so what he does is he does it in three levels. Firstly, he says, you know, you kill the Christ. And then, and then. He could have left it there, right? And then he starts to turn the knife. He said, and when Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, declared him innocent, what was your reason? You crucified the holy and righteous one. And if that wasn't bad enough, when it came to having an opportunity to release Jesus, and you had a choice between Barabbas, a terrorist, and Jesus of Nazareth, you chose Barabbas. You killed the author of life the one through whom and for whom you were created. My goodness, that's like, that's like being a drug addict, choking on your own vomit, and then stabbing the paramedic who comes to help you. And then just when he's turned the knife enough times, you know what he does then? He says, you're fully responsible and you were ignorant when you did it. Verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. So you killed him. You're responsible for killing him. But I know that when you killed him, you didn't know he was the Messiah. 
You did not have that knowledge. And that's exactly what Jesus said at the cross. It's more powerful when Jesus said it, of course, because they're beating him, they've crucified him, they've gambled for his clothes, they've spat on him, they've laughed at him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. There's grace for you. I think we need to remember this principle, don't we? When, when there are those around us in our lives who aren't followers of Jesus and don't have the Spirit of God and they seek to harm us in some way, whether a family or at work, or they blaspheme the name of Jesus, or they seem to sin without shame and our instinct is to condemn them, remember, they're responsible, but they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. Not so you and me if you're a follower of Jesus, and that's most of us here. As followers of Jesus, we're not ignorant anymore. Once you've come and tasted that the Lord is good and have put your trust in him, can I say, walk away from him and there lies before you a greater judgment. You remember what Jesus said to Judas, who was with them for three years, who performed miracles in Jesus' name, who preached the gospel? He's at the Lord's Supper and he's saying to Judas, woe to the one who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better if he were never born. And that's what he would say to you right now if you're thinking of walking away from Jesus once you've come to him. It would be better if you were never born. So don't do it. Don't do it. I plead with you. If you're thinking of walking away from Jesus after knowing him, think again. That's a future you don't want to go down. And Jesus' arms are always wide open. Come and talk to one of the pastors after the service, if that's you, and say, I think I'm drifting. I think I'm drifting. Now remember, it wasn't just their sins that put Jesus at the cross. It was our sins. And Peter comes to offer hope in the words, in, the, in one word really, repent. See that repentance in the light of our rebellion against Jesus. Look at verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a beautiful picture of grace to those who murdered the Messiah and to us. Repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out as if you never sinned. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent. I've shared the story with you that when I was about age 20, I... I started to read the Bible for the first time as an adult with an open mind, prepared to let it speak to me in a way that I'd never done before. And as I read, especially the Gospels, I thought to myself, wow, Jesus and Ray Galea think very differently. <laughs> One of us will need to change. And in case you're wondering, that was me. I needed to change. Because right up until that point, I always made Jesus change to agree with me. But at that moment, when I decided to follow Jesus, really as my Lord and Savior, I was repenting. I was literally changing my mind. I was aligning my thinking with his rather than making him agree with me. Amen? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not to think your thoughts, to think his thoughts and make them yours. Repentance. And with that comes forgiveness. And what a beautiful gift that is. Because when repentance comes, with it comes forgiveness of sins. With it comes being refreshed in Jesus' name. I love that. It's not often used, that word, to describe the, the fruit of following Jesus. But I love the way it captures for us, you know, that weariness that you can have. 
And then you may have gone on a holiday uh, or you may have had a good night's sleep and you feel refreshed and energised. The, the energy you have knowing that you don't have to live with fear anymore, whether it's the fear of death or the fear of judgment because you know heaven is your home. To know you don't have to carry the burden of guilt anymore and the, and the burden of shame. That, that thing that strangles us, that dead weight on the back of our souls that just drives you into the ground. Slowly, ever slowly, the exhaustion of trying to perform your way into heaven, the exhaustion of kicking against God. No, come to Jesus. Have it all dealt with. Leave it at the foot of the altar and know the times of refreshment. Oh, it is a wonderful thing to discover the full blessings of forgiveness. Let's turn to the screen and hear one lady, a nanny, who got to enjoy forgiveness and the refreshment that came with that. My mom left when I was a baby, and my dad raised me until I was four. My dad thought it was best for me to go to Germany to grow up with his sister. I remember the other day when we went to the airport, and I remember holding on to that gate because I didn't want to leave him. I um, hated my father for leaving me. Sending me somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> when I was seven, I got abused from a neighbor. I hated God. I hated him for all the stuff I went through. And I was like, oh, if you exist, why would you, like, do this to me, you know? I um, was looking for a nanny job, and I saw Stephanie's post. You know, I just put an ad out there for a nanny. And so the day that she walked in, we kind of just thought, you know what, this, this makes a ton of sense. Let's just do this. Matt was on the phone, and he was like, yeah, we would love to have you as Riley's nanny, and we would welcome you to our family. And I was like, what? This is crazy. We have so many people coming through this house, and she would ask, like, who are all these people? You know, they babysit your kids, and they come over here and play with your kids, and like, why would they do that? So like, oh, they love our kids, you know? We're really involved with each other, and we love each other. We're, we're all part of the same community. She said, well, I'd, I'd love to check that out. So Matt and Steph invited me to church. It was weird, because I'm like, never went to church, ever. They were just so nice and so welcoming, right? And I was like, oh, this is like a different experience. Like, I like going there. I think we were advertising for Alpha. Alpha was just coming back. And I said, you know, this is, would be a great way for you to learn more about what who Jesus is. And I was like, okay, fine, I'm gonna go meet new people. <laughs> and yeah, that was the reason why I went to Alpha first night, I didn't really interact with much with other people. I just like listened and was quiet, I think, the first night. The second night, the third night, I felt like, oh, this is like really powerful, right? Like, 
I started like engaging more and like asking questions. I think it was the time when it was about forgiveness. It was just so powerful that, you know, he forgave us for everything we did and that he still loves us, right? How can he like love me? When I did like so many stuff, you know, how can I forgive myself? How can I forgive people who hurt me? I think that was the moment when the dog I had inside went away and the light came through. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. It's always a beautiful story when people grasp the forgiveness that is theirs. Though I did want to know why the Americans did get subtitles. How come they didn't get subtitles as well? But seriously, if, uh, if you in any way have uh, wanting to explore the who of Jesus and why he makes such a difference and why we can testify to the difference he makes, that same course called Alpha, uh, and it's just a, a way of, of, of being introduced to who Jesus is, uh, we'll be running next Sunday, 5 o'clock here at Two Seasons. So I think you've got the QR code there if you'd like to be a part of that. really encourage you to do that. Refreshment comes once you know grace. You know, mercy's good, grace is better. Jerry Bridges, uh, who's since passed away, said this, Grace. Grace is God's free and unmerited favour, unearned, undeserved love, shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. Let me explain what I mean by the difference between mercy and grace, and both are wonderful. If I give you 50,000 dirham um, because you've lost your job, say, and you're going through a tough time, wow, that's, that's a kind act. That's called mercy. It's good, eh? Who loves mercy? Who wants 50,000 dirham? But if I gave you 50,000 dirham after you stole my car and trashed it, then I gave you 50,000, what do you call that? That's called grace. Mercy is good. Grace is better. When the lame man was healed, that was mercy. When you and I are forgiven, that's grace. Mercy is good, but grace is better. Grace is better. And it comes through one person. Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king, son of man, son of God, God in the flesh, servant of the Lord, holy and righteous, author of life. But here, he's, the, the title that's picked up is he is the long-awaited prophet in verse 22 because he's the mouthpiece of God. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you, this is a quote from Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Now finish the sentence. You must listen to everything he tells you. That's why you've got to repent, you see. You've got to, you've got to listen to him. And by listening, obey him, right? Eh? There is just one person. I'm into the KISS principle. You know, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. You know, I, I like things broken down. And, and what we're told here is, in a world with so many options, you know, you go to Carrefour and there's like 20 different types of milk and 30 different types of cereal. Oh my goodness, which one? I want them all. I want none. In the public square, there's a hundred options of spirituality. No God. Maybe there's a God. I'm not sure there's a God. One God. Few gods. Many gods. Ah, 
where do I pick? God says to us, there is one Lord, one Messiah, one prophet, priest, and king, son of God, son of man, Jesus. Cuts through the complexity. Love that. Verse 23. So make sure you're listening. Because anyone who does not listen to him will will be completely cut off from their people. If that man was completely healed, we will be completely cut off if we're not listening in. You want to be on the you want to be on the right side of God, you've got to be on the right side of Jesus. I was once talking to a woman and she said, I find Jesus irrelevant. I'm only interested in God. Like you couldn't put a wedge between them two. It was God Himself who said of Jesus at his baptism and then again on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke 9, a voice came from the cloud saying what? There it is again. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. You want to get on the right side of God, you've got to get on the right side of Jesus. It's Jesus or it's nothing. For now, what he comes is, to he allows us to enjoy life, life with him. And the fruit of that life with its forgiveness and mercy, sins wiped out. But what lies before us is a restoration still to come in Jesus. Verse 21. Heaven must receive him, because he's ascended into heaven, until the time comes for God to restore everything. Oh, they killed the agent of blessing. They just didn't kill the blessing. For now we enjoy times of refreshment. We swim in the sea of love of God's mercy and kindness. But a day is coming when there will be a time of restoration, a new creation, when the universe itself will be restored. The Bible always speaks of this creation and the new creation. This heaven and earth and the new heaven and new earth. The new one where Jesus is making all things new. No more floods, no more fires, no more famines. What Jesus did to the crippled man, he's going to do to this crippled earth. When the, uh, the picture of the man walking and leaping and praising God, to me is a picture of the new creation. Where the mountains will clap their hands and the trees will sing about how awesome our God is. That is why we love Jesus. That is why we follow him. That is why we share him. Oh, the city of Dubai and the people of Dubai ache to hear this. You scratch behind the, you know, the, the rat race and the, like the mice in the, in, the, in the wheel chasing, going hard and fast but going absolutely nowhere. The pressure to perform. And then to hear this news that God refreshes the broken soul and then he'll come to restore the broken universe. Jesus is coming back, friends. He has already wiped away your sins. He will then wipe away all your tears. But he will never wipe away your presence and your name in the book of life. Is this not a great God that we worship? So, yeah, love Jesus, follow him, and share this good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We just want to say thank you that in Christ Jesus we have tasted afresh that you are good, enjoying this deep refreshment where sins are wiped away, where guilt is removed, where shame is gone. For those who have not yet taken the hand of the Lord Jesus, Lord, who are with us today, whether online or in this room or in Platinum, Father, wherever we are, may today be the day of salvation for them. And we want to say thank you, Jesus, for the certain hope. For with you, Lord, the best is yet to come. There lies before us an even better future, 
a restored creation, a life with purpose. And may we at Fellowship take hold of this hope and make it known to a world that is lost in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.